God bless you, Recovery House of Worship. We now have Pastor Patrick Boatwright. Thank you. Uh, before we get too comfortable, would you just join me in standing as we give God the first word through the reading of his text? King David writes in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Uh. My friends, it is a pleasure to be with you here today. I am Patrick Boatwright, the lead pastor of uh, Oak Church, Brooklyn, just up north in Williamsburg. And um, I want to give a sincere thanks to Pastor Edwin and Pastor of the Church for allowing me to come uh, and share a word with you all today. And then I want to thank you all as a church, not just for allowing me here today, but I say thank you with the same spirit and sentiment that Paul writes to the church in Colossae in Colossians 1 when he says, I thank God for you. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. It is a pleasure to be here at this intersection of this church, which has stood for decades being a beacon of hope for people in Brooklyn. And I just want to give you thanks and praise for your faithful work to that purpose and to that aim, to the glory of God. Last week, Pastor Zach preached about justice, about who you are and who you want to be formed in the way of, the people of justice uh, doing the Lord's good work of making all things good. And in light of that, I just desire to give a little encouragement today. And I hope that this familiar passage we're going to read in Psalm 23, this has been the cornerstone of my life in ministry and my following of Jesus. And I hope, you know, I don't know what you brought in here today. Maybe you come in here and it's the first of the year and you're feeling good and your arms are strong and the, the snow ain't going to get you down. Uh, and to you, I hope that this word uh, just gives you shape to how to enter into the things that God is calling you into. But maybe you today, weary and downtrodden, like my brother said, it's hard to get in here. And I pray that this morning the Lord would just draw close to you. And maybe you're somewhere in between, you can't call it, but you're here. And for you, I pray that the Lord just meets you so clearly that you would see him more clearly today and be able to walk and follow after him. And so with that, we're just going to jump right into the word of God. And 
I'm going to try to keep it brief, but, you know, I got a lot of melanin in me. Uh, (laughs) Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we gave you the first word. We'll give you the last word. And in between, God, would you just speak and converse with us, Lord? Would you open our hearts and lay them bare? Search us, O God. Know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way within us. And lead us into the path of everlasting. We pray. Amen. So when we jump into Psalm 23, we've all heard it before and we know that refrain. It's almost like, you know, when someone says in West Philadelphia, you got to start singing. You know, you know the whole thing. The psalm opens with the Lord is my shepherd. And that is a statement and a declaration. But actually what David is doing here is he's opening with a title and a testimony. It says the Lord is my shepherd. But in the Hebrew, he actually just evokes the name of God, Jehovah Ra'ah. Jehovah Ra'ah is how David opens this psalm, and he's naming the Lord. He's giving him his title. Ra'ah means shepherd, the Lord my shepherd. But not just shepherd in the sense of leading sheep. The word also has a connotation of a friend, of a companion, one that walks alongside. And so David names his God, my friend, the one who walks alongside me. And then he goes on to give a testimony to this friend that walks with him. Where does he lead him? David says in verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Now we could be tempted to move past this and not see the richness of what David is testifying about the God he served. There's three forms of the rest that David is talking about that the Lord leads him into. First, David says, he lies me down. And so he takes his body. If any of you, some of you had to walk here through all that snow and you probably got here and you're like, let me get a chair, somebody. (laughs) Your body's tired and you needed rest. And so the Lord, Jehovah Ra'ah, leads you into a physical rest for our bodies. But then David goes further and he says, he doesn't just give me rest from my body, but he leads me beside still waters. The NIV says quiet waters. I got a little two-year-old son and and when he goes to sleep at night, what we do, we have this little sound machine. Maybe you got one and you cut on the sound. What does it do? It just soothes your mind and allows you to sleep. So David is following the Lord that doesn't just give him rest for his body, but gives him rest for his mind. He leads him beside quiet waters. Maybe you took the car today, but you weren't how you going to pay for it. (laughs) To you, he offers a rest for your mind, but that's not just the only rest he offers. David says, he lies me in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And then he says, he refreshes my soul. We are not just physical beings. We're not just our mental emotions, but we are embodied souls. And it is our souls that need rest. Have you ever just been feeling good, but your soul's been downtrodden, so you might as well have need to lay down? This God, Jehovah Ra'ah, he doesn't just give rest for the body and rest for the mind, but he refreshes and rests our souls. And it's interesting that this is how David starts. 
In a passage about leading and walking with the Lord, the Lord leads him not into work. The Lord doesn't meet David and say, let's get to it. Instead, he says, let's rest in me. So this is the thing about Jehovah Ra'ah. He, he leads us. He starts our work with rest. That's a hard concept for us in this culture that we lead in and live in. Monday morning, we start our week. And what do we do? Live for the weekend. So we work all week and just let me get my rest on the back end. So it's a funny thing to serve a God who starts with the weekend, who starts with rest. But why would he do that? Well, David starts walking, right? So out of this rest, he starts walking because he says in verse 3, he guides me along the right paths. But catch this, he does it for his name's sake. That's a weird phrase. We don't use it much. For his name's sake. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. What is David saying there? David is saying, in the Hebrew what he's saying is that for his reputation's purpose. That who God is, the reason that God starts us in rest is because that is who he is. That is his very nature. I was in college and you know, I, I was, a, I was a, a good student in grade school, graduated a year early, went off to college, worked very hard, but I was tired. I was coming into my junior year, and I was wore out. So I called my parents, and I said, Mom and Dad, I think I need to take a break. I just need to, you know, I think I need to just take a break from school, just take about six months, and, and just get refreshed. And I remember my mom and dad said, no, no, we got you here. You are not stopping. You're not stopping until you cross that finish line. And they took this posture because their understanding of rest was that if you rest, you won't keep going. That if you rest, you will be prone to laziness, right? We can associate rest with laziness, with inaction and inactivity. But this is not the rest of God. The rest of God does not lead us to inactivity. It leads us to good activity. Think of it this way, Genesis 1 The scriptures say that God created the heaven and earth. And then in verse 2, it says that the earth was formless and void. But what did the spirit of the Lord do? There's work to be done. He is creating the earth and it is empty. There is work to be done. And how does God begin his work? The scriptures say that his spirit rested over what needed to be done. That word there where it says hover, it means to relax, to go soft. And to go limp, God enters his creative work with rest. And out of that rest, he spawns a universe. And then on the sixth day, chapter 2 tells us that he makes man. And he gives man a task, steward everything that I've made. And then you know what he does? He tells him to rest. There is work to be done, but we enter it through rest. The rest of God is not one of inactivity. But it's good activity. This is the nature of the God that we serve. But let's be honest. We can enter into the rest and then we can move into the work of God. But we can be led into another temptation, which is this misunderstanding. That if he moves us through rest to call us through his work, well, then his work should be easy. Right? If I come in your house and you say, sit down, 
put your feet up. Thank you for coming to dinner. All right, good on it. I'm not good about this. But then you tell me, great, you rested? All right, now if you just get up and go do those dishes and set the table, we can eat. And you're like, what? I just, I thought I was supposed to rest. The reality is that we know is that even though we enter the work of God and rest, we enter into work. And because of the fall, the rest of Genesis 1 and 2 is destroyed by Genesis 3 when Eve sins and Adam joins her. And he says that now your work, you had to work. The curse was not work. The curse was that your work would be hard. The soil will reject you. And this is where our rest comes in. But he leads us into hard things. This is the work of justice. But not just justice in the external sense of how we make good for the people and the systems and the communities around us, but the work of internal justice. It is hard finding and working for the justice of God in our lives. So many of us in here know that more deeply than we could imagine. You don't just get to 31 years. You don't skip there. You, you climb, crawl, roll, get dragged. So we cannot fool ourselves that following Jesus leads to lives of easiness, leads to the eradication of all our burdens and all our troubles. It's exactly the opposite. This is why Jesus in John 16 says, let me, not, let me tell you the truth. In this world, there will be trouble. But you don't have to fear because I've overcome it. And so it makes sense then that David in this passage enters into the rest of God, starts walking with God, and where does he walk into? Verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so when we enter in the trials and tribulations of this life, external and internal, we go in the presence and in the communion of Christ. And we find that he goes with a rod, his staff. And listen, we've got to sit here and understand what David is highlighting, he's highlighting these two things that God uses to get us through the dark places, the rod and your staff. What is he talking about here? The rod, a rod was for protection. So a shepherd carried the stick, and if a wolf came, if a lion came, he beat back. That was trying to kill what he called precious. And that stick also had a crook on it. And so he would use it for when a sheep started to wander off because there was something, there was another sheep that was maybe looking pretty good over there. And he, had this, and he puts this crook around his neck and he brings that sheep back in line. How many of you have known the crook of Jesus? How many of us have needed the rod of Jesus? Protection, not just from the, the, the wolves out there, but the wolves in here. But think of this. I want you to catch this. David names two things, but they're the same thing. The shepherd didn't carry just a, a, a club 
and a staff. No, he carried one weapon. It was, it was this one stick with his crook by which he used it to beat back and also used it to correct. And so what we see here is that in God's correction, there is guidance and support. And oftentimes his guidance and support means that he's got to beat some things out of us. But he does it all to our good. That word rod there, it's the same word that the writer of Proverbs used in 13 where he says, if one, if you, if one spares the rod, they hate their child. But if he loves him, then he will meet them with dis- discipling, discipline. He calls them in the way. So we have a God who confronts us in our brokenness and is confronting the brokenness around us. And then he's walking us through it. And here's the thing I want you to get, because I have been in a place in walking with Jesus where I've said, I've loved you so diligently, and yet you have led me. How have I found myself in so much pain? And I have cried out to you in that pain, and yet the pain persists. It's still here. So how does this work? Because I was mistaken in believing that the power of God was the eradication of my problems. But it turns out that is very rarely the case. It turns out that the power of God is not the eradication of my problems, but my perseverance through my problems. That he fortifies my feet. And he strengthens me when the waves push against me. That he gives me a stiff back in the face of evil. He helps me stand and persevere. This is why Paul says to the church in Romans, count it all joy when you go through suffering because suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, forms us. And that character produces hope. And that hope will not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. And so we are able to be a people who walk through the darkest valleys. Because he is with us. And he brings us comfort through his correction and through his guidance. And I know you guys know that so well. I was just thinking of, you know, as you talk about, um, I know you guys are in the middle of a building fund for this roof. And yet in the midst of, of this building and the leaks and stuff, the pantry has continued. The services have continued. You had to shift it into another room, but you've persevered to the glory of God. He gives us sustenance in the middle of our afflictions. This is what Paul says next when he goes into verse five. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, On the face, that's pretty good. Like, what are you doing here, Lord? I don't know if I want to eat around these people. You ever been around eating around people you don't want to eat around? But I want you to see this is kind of the same thing of what David is talking about because that word enemies there, uh, you could be tempted to think it just means people you don't like. But actually, the word there, it literally means cramps. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my cramps and the things that drive me crazy. So maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a couple of people and they shared it last night. (laughs) And here we are 
in the presence of them. But what are we doing? What is Jesus doing? David says that he is preparing a table. What do you prepare a table for? You prepare a table when it's time to eat. So in the midst of the things that give us troubles, we find sustenance in him. He is creating a feast for us. He's allowing us to walk through the valley of death and to sit in the presence of the things that are killing us, and then he gives us refreshing and plenishment and fuel. And out of this, David says, out of this, God then anoints our head with oil. My cup overflows. What is he talking about here? He ain't, feeding, he ain't giving you oil to drink. No, this is, a, this is a priestly picture. David is calling back to Leviticus, Leviticus 8.12, where in the formation of the tribe of Israel, God called and told Moses, he said, take your brother Aaron and his kids, and you're going to take them, and you're going to take the oil, and you're going to pour it over their head, and you're going to anoint them as priests, and they are going to serve as mediating my peace between God and man. Now, we know that Jesus has come and broke down the dividing wall, so we don't need priests to mediate our peace with God. But what he has done is that he has anointed us all a fellowhood of priests, a priesthood of all believers with the task of going and mediate and sharing his presence and his peace to the wider world. And so through his power that allows us to enter the brokenness, the necessity, the inflicted pain, the need for recovery. He allows us to enter that into people, into the worlds of people. He allows us to move into their brokenness and he has given us more than what we need to bring his peace. He has made us priests, each one of us, with an overflowing cup. Who do you know that you can share the peace of God with today? I guess the question would be, how full is your cup? You can't give what you don't have. And if we haven't been walking with Jesus, if we haven't been allowing him to, if we haven't entered our work through his rest, then we haven't sat at his table. Our cup overflows. And then David moves to the last word of the psalm. Verse six, he says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's highlighting these two realities and this is why these verses have been so foundational for my life because I see them as, as, as a testimony to the fullness of life. David ends with these two realities. First, he says, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And so he is acknowledging our temporal nature. He is acknowledging that this body, I, I, I turned 36 in a few, few weeks. And that's, that's, not, that's not that old, but you need to tell my back that because... Uh, <laughs> I'm getting old. This body, this body is, is not, it's not functioning like it used to. It is temporal. And so David is acknowledging the vapor of this life. And that in that, his goodness and love is following after him. We are finite 
and our bodies, but our souls live on forever. And this is the next reality that David ends on. But I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My body may be frail. From ashes I've come, from ashes I will return. But my soul, who I am, will live on in the presence of the Lord forever. And he will give me an indestructible body. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And so whether in the temporal time of this life, he will meet me and walk with me through this. But then in the end, I will enter into an eternal rest where there is no more striving, no more sorrow, no more enemies. Just the fullness of the love of God. The band's going to come back up. I, I just, as we kind of move towards closing, the reason I just wanted to give this word to you all today is because I know where it's the first of the year, we're in this time of, you know, resolutions and changes, and the world's telling you, hey, it's time to get it together. Maybe you've been telling yourself that, but you maybe know this, maybe you know this uh, cycle. You buckle down. I'm going to get it together. We're about to get right. I'm going to pay a bill on time this month. I'm going to call my mom. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, Pastor. And you make about a good week, maybe two. You might even make it all the way through January. (laughs) But then February comes. That thing happens. Somehow you owe tax bills. Somehow the car breaks down. I've got a two-year-old. This morning, he had me before Jesus, before I could get out of bed. I was calling for help. (laughs) We can't do it in and through our powers, friends. We're not going to get to where we're trying to go through our own will how and white-knuckling and our own power and our own resolve. It'll last us for a little bit, but eventually, even the best of us, it gives out. But if, like David, we come to walk with Jehovah Ra, the one who is our shepherd, the one who leads and guides, then we will enter our work through rest. And through that rest, no matter what comes, how deep the valley, how dark the night, we will be able to endure because he strengthens us. Even to the point where we can sit in front of those things that are killing us and driving us crazy and we can meet them in love and we can meet them in the peace of God. He will take us through that. No matter how many valleys we go, he will continue to walk with us all the days of our life until that day where we enter into his presence forever. So I offer you that as you leave from this place and go about walking through this life. Would you walk with Jesus? Would you walk with the shepherd? 
that you walk with our friend. Let me pray for you. Father, may your word you say, which is good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training up in righteousness. May it meet us, God, where we are today. You say, I do not, my word does not go forth void, but it goes out and achieves the purposes for which I've sent it. So for however we've come in here today, Lord, and with whatever we've come with, Lord, I pray that through your spirit, your word would minister to us and do its good and faithful work. Would you give us those who are strong the wisdom to work in and through you and out of the rest that you provide. And for those of us who are weary and downtrodden, would we be encouraged to know that you are with us, that we would have the testimony of Hagar, truly this is the God who sees me. For those of us who are just in between, making it day by day, I pray that we would see you so clearly that we would be able to perceive your invitations, not just into life, but life to the full. We pray all these things through the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.